Amen. Amen. Hey, you can take your seats. Hey, hey, I want to start off our conversation this morning with uh, what is arguably one of the the most powerful passages about Jesus, who He is, and what He did in the entire Bible. It's found in Colossians chapter 1. So, Maple Grove, are you ready? Are are you ready to hear some God-breathed words? Are you ready to hear words that are sharper than a double-edged sword? Words that, words that penetrate, words that are alive and active, words that are life and give life. Woo-hoo. Like, what do I do? What do I do? And, and one more thing before I read these words. What if these words are really true? And, and what if you actually believe them? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. Whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. This is the gospel. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you, you who are once God's enemies, you who were once alienated from God. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, and free from accusation. This is the gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. Do you see any reasons to rejoice in that? I mean, to rejoice in the simple gospel of this God who, who put on flesh, a God who loved you enough to send his son, a, a God who loved you enough to die for you, to shed his blood for you, to, to put his presence inside of you, to prepare a place for you to be with him forever. Man, that's some good news, right? Let's give a shout out for the gospel, right? That's good stuff, right? It don't get any better. I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, man, if, if that don't float your boat, your boat is never going to float, right? It's just not. It's not going to, that's incredible. We will rejoice in a simple gospel. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. And God, thank you for the simple gospel. God, thank you that even though we were once alienated from you, that we were once your enemies because of our evil behavior and the things that we did. But God, we thank you that you made peace with us by sending your son to die for us. Lord, we rejoice in you. We rejoice in your gospel. And Father God, I I pray that this morning that you would just be your Holy Spirit, that you would just move among us, that we will believe in your power and your presence, that that you can do now what you did 
then that you're the same God who moves mountains and who parts seas and who slays giants and who speaks things into existence. And God, I pray that you just open up our hearts and minds and, and God, just help me to, to preach your word in a way that points to you and brings you honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's do this. Uh, week five in, in our series, Church We Are, dot, dot, dot. And this week it's Church We Are, Devoted. And, and again, remember that the title of the series is not we believe, but rather we are. Uh, because being a follower of Christ is not just saying we believe, but it's about who we are. It's, a, it's about what we are committed to. And so far in the series, we have unpacked some pretty awesome we are statements. And I would like us to boldly, powerfully, and confidently declare those truths on our feet out loud in just a few minutes. I uh, understand that this is not just a book. And therefore, there is supernatural power in speaking God's word, his truth out loud. In fact, when Joshua, the Old Testament hero, was about to enter the promised land, God said that one of the keys to his success in this land would be this, Joshua 1.8, do not let this book of the law depart from your what? From your mouth. From your mouth. Have you ever heard the expression, uh, we are what we eat? I'm Rocky Road ice cream, right? We are what we eat, you know. In a very real way, we are what we speak. We are what we speak. And, and listen, if, if, if our mouths declare God's truth, you know, and sometimes our mouths declare truth, other things, you know, a lot of things get spoken that are not necessarily good for us, right? But when we declare God's truth with our mouths, it will drive those truths deeper into our being, into our souls, and they will become activated and unleashed in their lives. Power in speaking God's truth out loud. And so if you guys would stand, we're going to speak these truths about who we are as a church out loud. My line is we are. You guys know your, your line. And just feel it as, as you say it. We, we are... We are, Christ. okay, we're going to start over. That was, that was kind of weak, sorry. We are, Christ. we are, Christ. we are, Christ. we are, Christ. we are, <laughs> you're good. We are, we are, we are, we are, we are, we are, we're doing this next one three times. We are, we are, we are, amen, you can be seated, that's fun. And now in my life group this past Thursday, we talked about how this truth from last week about being a follower, not a fan, how it made all of us squirm a little bit because we all had to admit that we, we got some fan still in us, right? Sitting in the stands cheering for Jesus. But understand, Jesus is not looking for cheerleaders, right? He's looking for players. He, he, he's looking for players who will walk between the chalk lines and live out the game of life for him. And, and so if last week made you squirm a little bit, good. Good. I, I mean, seriously, if messed up people like you and I can actually look at this book and never squirm, 
Something's wrong, right? Something's wrong. Get it? Good. And so in this series, we're talking about who we are and what we're striving to become and who we are hoping to be as a local church. And I've been saying that on November the 6th, after we talked about these core beliefs and these core commitments, and I'm going to ask each of us to say, okay, I'm in, I'm ready to become part of this church family. Now, for some of you, like I said, that means re-upping, right? That means recommitting. You're already a member. For others who are not yet a member, uh, this is your opportunity. I mean, you've been tending Maple Grove for a while. You've been learning more about Christ. You've been learning about this church, and I hope you'll take advantage of this opportunity to jump in with both feet and say, I'm ready to be part of this church family. After second service last week, someone came up to me and just said, hey, I, I really don't know why I haven't joined yet. And I said, that's what November 6th is all about. It's your opportunity to make a decision to join what is happening here. And like I said, for those who are in the military, NGIC, DIA, JAG, I know you guys are here temporarily, right? I was in the military, I get that, but I just got to tell you, it's important to be connected wherever you are. Right now you're here, get connected. Your next duty station, wherever you are, get connected there, because it's very important to be connected to the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. And listen, if you miss any of the first four conversations, I really encourage you to check them out online. Uh, because God is really speaking in a powerful way. Okay, let's do this. This morning, we're going to unpack the final six verses of Acts chapter 2. Now, the book of Acts is one of my, one of my favorite books in the entire Bible. I, I mean, it is so powerful, so exciting, so challenging, so convicting, inspiring, motivating, and encouraging as it tracks the incredible movement and growth of the church from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to Rome to the ends of the earth, from, from 12 square guys to 120 to 3,000 to tens of thousands to young and old, male and female, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, rich and poor, educated and unschooled. Yes, I love the book of Acts. And we've been reading the book of Acts ever since we started this series, Church We Are. And listen, I, though I have read Acts, I don't know, hundreds of times, I, I, I have a 200 page, I have a 200-page syllabus Bible study I do in the book of Acts. I, I, I'm just amazed when I come to the Bible, like the Bereans, open-minded and eagerly listening, how new and fresh it still is. And on Friday this week in Acts 20, Luke, the author and a co-traveler with Paul, paints one of the most inspiring scenes in the Bible about being a follower of Christ. He records these words of Paul. Paul says, and now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus Christ, the work of telling others the gospel about the wonderful grace of God. You see, the Paul... The only thing that ultimately mattered was whether or not he was telling people about the good news of Jesus. See, to Paul, it didn't matter what he accomplished, how much the world applauded, you know, how many plaques he could put on his wall. If he did not, if he did not share Christ with lost people, then Paul says, then my life is completely worthless because I have not done my one job. And brothers and sisters, we have that same one job. Around here, we call it pray for one, right? We're, we're, we're every day, right? We're supposed to pray. Lord, please show me one person that I can share your love with today. 
You know, I, I've, there's something in your notes that'll pop up on the screen and, and, and for you to answer. It's like a one through five thing. It's coming, boom. Okay? Have you been praying for one? And rate yourself, one to five. Like one, yeah, sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Or I pray in the morning and I never think about it. A five being like, you know, I prayed all the time. When I go to the grocery store, when I go to work, when I pull into my driveway, when I walk in my neighborhood, you know, when I'm with those family members, everywhere I am, I'm constantly asking God to show me. Go ahead and, and, and give yourself a number, you know, and look at your neighbor's number. And if it's lower than a three, slap them in the head. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You know, but how you doing? How you doing? Here's what I know for sure. We ain't all fives. Because I'm not seeing a whole lot of people running down here surrendering to Christ, all right? You know, I ain't a five, you know? And what are we going to do about it, right? What am I going to do about it, right? Are, are we going to get busy, right? There, there's people in those walls, and those big number ones. All those people we said are lost, and right now if Jesus didn't come back, they would not be with him forever. That, that's pretty, you know, so it wouldn't matter, you know, how much we have and accumulate if those people don't get to go with us, Right? And so let's not lose sight of that. Again, today we're unpacking the final six verses of Acts chapter 2. And these verses tell us about what those 300 believers who saw the massive flames leap down on the heavens, these 300 believers who heard that sound of a loud rushing wind, those 3,000 believers who listened intently to Peter preach the very first gospel sermon about Jesus, these 3,000 believers who heard that message, accepted that message, repented of their sins, and were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Yes, these final six verses tell us what these 3,000 new believers, what they did and what they were devoted to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And this is where it gets kind of crazy. Selling their possessions and goods. Got any possessions and goods? Got any things you really, really like? Did you enjoy? Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They devoted. Uh, that, that Greek word, devoted, comes from a word that means to adhere to with strength. I, I said that this was not a casual or loose connection. Instead, it was a, it was a, a super glue, a, a, a gorilla glue. It, it was a firm, strong, ain't no way I'm ever letting go of this thing connection. And, and note that it's in the present tense, which means it was an ongoing, continuous action. So they were continually devoting, who? Devoting themselves. Now understand, as much as we may want to, we cannot devote other people, and other people cannot devote us. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And listen, I'm convinced that there's a very real possibility of something huge happening among us today. 
Uh, something that will be immeasurably more than all we could ask, think, or imagine. Uh, something that very well could send out ripples that will reach out into eternity. Uh, understand that if you and I, if we leave this place more determined than ever before to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching, the prayer, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, I mean, if we actually do these things and are not just convicted by them, and that's sometimes what happens in church, right? You ever get convicted in church? You know, like, hey, you know what, I don't, man, I don't want to be a fan, right? You know, conviction without change really doesn't mean a whole lot, right? You know, you know, but if we actually go out and do these things, if we do what they did, there's a very high probability we will experience what they experienced. A, a mighty movement of God where the Lord adds daily to our number those that are being saved and where we will experience this crazy community where people actually sell their stuff, <laughs> stuff they like. You know, I, 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 I won't even name things. You, you know what stuff you have that you like. Sell stuff they like to people that need it within the body. A crazy community where people take off their mask, right? You ever wear a mask when you come to church? How you doing? Oh, everything's great. When really it's not so great. Your marriage is kind of struggling. Finances are bad. Your kids are going nuts, right? Or whatever the issue is. Oh, it's good. You know, but a community where we actually take off our mask and we get real. Hey, this is who we are. And we get better. We have to grow. We are the church and we are to be devoted where we devoted to the apostles' teaching. Understand, if we want to become what we're called to be, we must be devoted to this book. In fact, if we do not adhere with strength to this book, we will never become all that God wants us to be individually or as a church. Get it? Good. Cool question. Well, why was God able to do such extraordinary and unexplainable things through the early church. Well, one of the reasons was they were devoted to the Word of God. Now, now I'm going to ask two questions, and, and they're going to pop up on the screen, and, and, and I think they could be in your notes as well. Let me see. No, they're not. Okay. Uh, two questions, and, and the answers are obvious, and the second question may make you squirm a little bit, all right? Here's the first question. Should a Jesus follower be devoted to the Bible? Yes or no? Yes, right? Yes. Okay, next one. Is it possible to be devoted to the Bible if you hardly ever read the Bible? All right? Squirm, squirm. Okay. Woo. Now check out these stats. I mean, you can find stats anywhere, but I actually think these are fairly accurate. Health and Christians read the Bible. 26% in this survey said that four or more times a week they read the Bible. 19% said once or a few times per week, usually at church. 26% once or a few times a month. 29% rarely, four times a year or not at all. And I wonder if we did a survey like that right now. I, I, I wonder if we're honest how our percentages would turn out. Now, if you've been around here for a while, you're going to hear me talking about Faith comes from hearing all the time. You know, it's this Bible reading program, chapter a day, Sunday's the day to catch up and reflect. It's based on Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ, okay? And, and, and I gotta tell you, 
Um, yeah, the day was a catch-up day for me. And, and I, I was reading um, Acts, chapter, Acts chapter 18. And, and like I said, I've, I've read Acts tons of time, but yet something was really good in there. And here's what I, I read this morning. I, I, I posted on Facebook. Here we go. It's in there twice in Acts 18. The Messiah you're looking for is Jesus. And here's what I wrote. Understand, everyone is looking for something or someone to give them peace, meaning, hope, purpose, love, and fulfillment. Listen, the Messiah you are looking for will not be found in anything of this world or in any person. It is found only in Jesus. So we need to fix our eyes, our hearts, our dreams, our hopes, our desires, and focus on him. Listen, listen. Jesus is what you're really looking for. And he is right there beside you. Hashtag tuned in. Hashtag truth. Hashtag SCFH. Hashtag let it be Jesus. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Why? Because it was the very word of God. And, and check out what a very smart guy said about the Bible. The guy's name is N.T. Wright. The book is, is simply Christian. It's a lot of reading, but this is really good. And I know you guys can handle it. Uh, tragically, the history of Christianity is littered with ways of reading the Bible which have, in fact, muzzled it. The computer I'm writing on now will do a thousand things, but I use it only for writing and for access to the internet and email. In the same way, many Christians, whole generations of them, sometimes entire denominations, have in their possession a book which will do a thousand things, not only in and for them, but through them in the world. And they use it only to sustain the three or four things they already do. They treat it as a form of verbal wallpaper, pleasant enough in the background, but you stop thinking about it once you lived in the house a few weeks. It really doesn't matter that I don't exploit more than a small amount of my computer's capability. But to be a Christian, while not letting the Bible do all the things it's capable of through you and in you, is like trying to play the piano with your fingers tied together. Equipped for every good work, there's the point. The Bible is breathed out by God so that it can fashion and form God's people to do his work in the world. In other words, the Bible simply isn't to be an accurate reference point for people who want to look things up and be sure they got them right. It's there to equip God's people to carry forward his purposes of new creation and new covenant. It's there for people to work for justice, to sustain spirituality, and as they do so, to create and enhance relationships at every level and to produce that new creation, which will have about it something of the beauty of God himself. The Bible isn't like an accurate description of how a car is made. It's more like the mechanic who helps you fix it, the garage attendant who refuels it, and the guide who tells you how to get where you're going. And where you're going is to make God's new creation happen in his world, not simply to find your own way unscathed through the old creation. The Bible isn't simply a repository of true information about God, Jesus, and over the world. It is rather part of the means by which, in the power of the Holy Spirit, the living God rescues his people and his world and takes them forward on the journey toward his new creation and makes us agents of that new creation even as we travel. Picking it up, you need to remind yourself that you hold in your hands not only the most famous book in the world, but one which has extraordinary power to change lives, to change the world. It's done it before. It can do it again. Wow. That's good stuff. 
I don't care who you are. And check out what the Bible says of itself in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is inspired by God. In the original language, literally, God breathed. And it is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives, to make us squirm. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it. And listen, we believe this. We believe that the Word of God has supernatural power to thoroughly equip God's people to do every good work. And and so when we talk about Scripture, we're not talking about just this subject where we're downloading information, but rather we want it to be about transformation. I I mean, as Paul said to Timothy, we want the Word of God to show us where we're wrong. And guess what? We're wrong in some places. I'm wrong in some places. And and to teach us what is right and to prepare us to do what God wants us to do. Amen? Amen. Now, now if, if if you read through the New Testament, you'll find a number of warnings for churches about staying devoted to God's Word as the ultimate truth. You see, there there were false teachers that were part of the early church and who were constantly coming up against and trying to compromise, sidetrack, and pollute the church's devotion to the Word of God. And and I want to talk about two uh, of the major things that can pollute and and dilute and, and sidetrack our devotion to the Word of God. And the first thing, the first warning uh, that can mess up with our devotion is, is something called legalism. Legalism. So legalism, it, it, it's just this idea that God's Word, it, it's good, but, but it's not quite good enough, that it needs our help. It's not adequate, so we take what the Bible says and we start adding to it. And, and here's my definition of, of legalism. Legalism is the practice of elevating one's own personal opinion, preferences, and traditions to such an extent that they carry the same authority as scriptures. I understand when Jesus wore flesh and walked this planet, he battled this, right? He battled legalism, mainly the group of people whose name starts with the P. Anybody know who they were? The, the Pharisees, right? Would anybody want to be called a Pharisee? Would you feel complimented? Hey, you know, you know you're like one of the, you're one of like the best Pharisees I know. I don't think any of us would wear that as a badge of honor. Uh, Jesus said in Mark 7, 9 of them, you skillfully sidestep God's law, God's word, in order to hold up your own traditions. In other words, you care more about what you think is right and your opinions and your preferences than you do God's word. The early church battled legalism, chiefly from Jewish background believers who were trying to force Gentile converts to follow Old Testament laws and their own Jewish traditions. You see, they're saying to the Gentiles, yeah, Jesus is good. We're glad you came into the church, right? But, but we have some rules that you need to follow to really be right with God. You need to honor God the way you, we think you should honor God. Paul wrote two books, Galatians and Colossians, where the bulk of the writing is dealing with this very issue. Bottom line, legalism was a problem then, and it can be a problem today. And like I said, legalism is where someone takes something the Bible speaks about, and they add their own more personal and more specific application or spin to it. For example, the Bible tells women to dress modestly. The Bible teaches that. But, but a legalistic approach to that would be to say, well, here's what that means. It means that you don't wear pants and you have to wear dresses that go all the way down to the ground. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it's, if there's an option of a dress or pants, you want to wear pants, but a legalist would say, no, 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 no. You have to wear a dress that goes all the way down to the ground because wearing pants is a sin. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty specific. 
But there are people out there that would teach this type of thing. That, that it's not enough to teach that you need to be modest, but you have to follow their own specific application of that. Now understand, if in your conviction to dress modestly, you say, you know what, what that means to me is I wear a dress that goes all the way to the ground. That's good. That's fine. That's perfectly fine for you. But we're not to put on other people our own extra biblical standards. Get it? Good. Another example would be the Bible says not to get drunk. That getting drunk is a sin. But a legalistic approach would be to say, hey, drinking any alcohol is a sin. The Bible doesn't teach that. Now, if your personal standard, maybe because of the home you grew up in or a struggle in the past, you know, it causes you to have that conviction, then hold that standard, hold that conviction, but you don't have any right to take your conviction and place it upon somebody else. That the, something the Bible doesn't say. Legalism is the practice of elevating one's own personal opinion, preferences, and tradition to such an extent that they carry the same authority as Scripture. Other areas where legalism can slip in into the church are things like tattoos, right? You can't have a tattoo. I'm not talking about the guy on Fantasy Island. Tattoo, tattoo, right? Not him, okay? Uh, he's okay, I guess, in church, but not tattoos, okay? Or, or letting your kids go trick-or-treat or carving a pumpkin. You put a Christmas tree up in your home. Do you let your children? No real Christian will let their children sit on Santa's lap, right? Um, working on Sundays, what Bible translation you should use? Oh, you should never listen to that kind of music. You know, that is totally devil music all the time, anytime. Country music. I'm no, kidding. <laughs> Just teasing. How you worship God? You know, I, I went on this week and I Googled examples of legalism in the church, and I found this post on a website. In my former church, the guys were taught to have their shirts tucked in, by the way, that wasn't here, <laughs> and belts on to be considered true seekers and believers. Facial hair was allowed for guys, but frowned upon if they wanted to be in any position of leadership. Smoking and drinking were considered weaknesses no matter how much or how little people did it. R-rated movies were found upon and considered a weakness. These things were not taught about as outright sins, but there was a certain pressure to conform, and if you didn't conform, you were considered weak, not a real seeker, and to be very immature in your faith. You weren't shunned, but there was this subtle form of rejection that you felt whenever you were around them. So here's what happens. When the church starts to slip into this legalistic approach, the Bible's portrayed not adequate enough that it needs your help. And, and listen, legalism can actually create a lot of noise that actually drowns out what the Bible actually says. Mark chapter 7, verse 8, Jesus said, For ye ignore God's word <laughs> and substitute your own tradition. You get all freaked out about what some music someone's listening to, or they have a tattoo or whatever, and you're ignoring the stuff that God's Word actually says. Jesus said the last week of his life to the Pharisees, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You just practice the latter without neglecting the formal. And so legal was a problem in the church in the first century. I, I think it's just part of our world, right? I mean, don't we like to create standards that we put on everybody else, right? You know what? I think you should be doing this. And you should be done, don't we? I mean, it is part of who we are. Well, you know, if you really love Jesus, you'd be going to this. Or you'd be doing this. Or you'd be wearing this. You'd be acting like this. You'd be serving here, right? 
You know, and so we have to fight it. We got to watch out to ensure that we're truly devoted to the apostles' teaching. Another area that where the church is warned about that can mess up with being devoted to scriptures is liberalism. And here's my definition of liberalism, you know, in regards to uh, the church. Liberalism, the practice of filtering what we're devoted to in Scripture based on what is culturally acceptable or personally preferable. So here's what that looks like. It'd be like a a church believes something today that they didn't believe 10 years ago because the culture believes differently. You see, there's this tremendous uh, amount of pressure on the church today to to kind of run what the Bible says, right, through this filter of, of opinion polls and, 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 and this filter of, of public opinion and of, of what is perceived to be politically correct. So you run God's Word through this filter, and it comes out the other side and go, well, you know what, here's how we see that issue now, today, in the 21st century. And that's why we see churches that kind of, well, they have changed course in subjects like marriage and sexuality and gender and abortion and sin and hell, et cetera, et cetera, because they're interpreting God's Word through the filter of what's acceptable culturally or what's personally preferable. Get it? Good. So it's like this smorgasbord, right? Hey, I like what God's Word says here. I'll take that home with me. <laughs> Give me the go box. Supersize it, right? But here, no, I don't, I'm not going to take that. It's uncomfortable and convenient. It doesn't fit with how I want to live. So I'll just leave that right there. And so the Bible ends up getting treated like that. And the devotion to Scripture becomes simply a series of compromise after compromise after compromise. And you know, I, I personally think that there is a whole lot of pressure on the church today to conform to the world, Right? to filter our beliefs through the beliefs of our culture. I, I think it's kind of what Paul was talking about in 2 Timothy 4.3. For the time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. But listen, here, here's what I want you to know about Maple Grove and, you know, and about myself. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to tickle your ears. I'm not, I'm not going to ban my teaching with the ways and wind of culture. And I'm going to do my best not to, be, not to be a legalist. Understand, as a church, we are devoting ourselves to God's word, to the apostles' teaching. We believe that, that, that all parts of this book, not just the parts we like and love, but every part of this book is the inerrant word of God. And we're going we're gonna to let this book challenge us and convict us. We're going to let this book encourage us and, 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 and comfort us, to be over us but not to be under us. We are devoted to this book. It will be our map and it will be our guide. It will be our teacher and it will be our corrector. In fact, you might not know this, but Maple Grove is part of a movement that began in the early 1800s called the Restoration Movement. Just a bunch of guys from various denominations who just said, you know what? I, I just want to be called a Christian, and I just want the Bible to be my authority, and, and I think that every church should just be autonomous and independent, ruled by a plurality of elders, as Scripture said, who are under the authority of the Bible. And, and they had some mottos that they went by. Where the Bible speak, we speak. 
Where the Bible is silent, we are silent. Another model they had was in, in essentials unity. Matters opinion, liberty. And all things love. Another was, we're, we're Christians only, but we're not the only Christians, right? Hey, we're just Christians. There's a lot of Christians out there. You know, no book but the Bible, no creed but Christ, and no name but the divine name. Brothers and sisters, this book must be the authority of our church. This book must set the course of our lives and our church. And, and I got to tell you, as the guy standing up here teaching, I intend to keep on teaching the Bible, what I read in the Bible, and I, keep, I, I want this church to be built on what the Bible says. You know, if ever I say something, you're like, whoa, that doesn't make sense, that doesn't agree with Scripture, please call me up, let's sit down and talk about it, right? Because I could be screwed up on that issue, right? You know, I don't know everything, but I do know one thing. I know this, I know that the, the grass wither and the flowers fade, and I know that the Word of God endures forever, amen? And, and listen, when you become a member of this church, you're saying, I'm going to use the Bible as my guide, as my compass. It's going to direct my life. And I want to be held accountable to it. And, and not to be mean, you know, but if you're not ready to say, hey, you know, I don't want the Bible to demean my, if you're not ready to say, I want the Bible to be my authority, then you're not ready to be a member of Maple Grove. Hey, come hang out with us, you know, but part of being a member is say, hey, I want this to be the authority of my life. Because we can count on this, right? This hasn't changed. It'll be the same forever and ever and ever. Now, don't misunderstand me. We all follow in perfectly, right? We're going to run off the road from time to time. Believe me when I tell you. We're going to need to help each other get this done right, right? And encourage each other. But our commitment is that we're going to allow God's Word to guide and direct us as a church and individually. I just got to tell you, I love this book. I believe in this book. I do. It's the greatest book there is. And in Acts chapter 2, we see a church exploding. 3,000 people. God added to the number daily. And part of the reason was their devotion to that book, this book, the Bible. Now, the next three things, I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to hit fast. I planned on it. I never worry about balancing things in my sermon, right? You know, you probably figured it out by now. And, and, but the next thing, but just because I go fast, right, doesn't mean they're not important and not needed. Yeah. Next, they were devoted to the, to the fellowship. See, the early church knew that they, that they were better together. They knew that following Jesus was a team sport. And what an incredible team they were. Again, all the believers were together, had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. That is just crazy. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And here, here, here's like the truth of the matter. You know, we will never become who we're supposed to be in Christ by ourselves, you know? We need each other. And if you're trying to do this Jesus thing by yourself, it ain't working. It'll never work because that's not how God wired the system. And, and, and in Genesis 2.18, he said, it is not good for man to what? To be what? To be alone. You know, we were wired for a relationship. We're in God's image. Ecclesiastes says in uh, verse four, chapter 4, two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help him up. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You know? and, and when I think of like, two being better than one, 
three being better than two, four being better than three, five being better than four. You know what I think of? I think of razor blades, right? Okay? You know, I think of razor blades, right? You know, like, you know, it, I think it was, it was the late 1800s where the first disposable safety razor was formed. And somehow, 36 million of those suckers went out in World War I. Gillette got a big deal. That's why they got so much money, all right? Uh, you know, and, and then it was in 1900s, early 1900s. That's a track two on, off to the top right. Uh, that, wasn't, that was 1971. But and, and then, like in early 1900s, someone said, hey, you know what? If one blade works pretty good, right, two's better, right? Because, you know, it, you're going to have to, you want the, it, it's going to cost less stress to your face, less irritation, because you don't have to go over as much, right? Because what the first one doesn't get, the second one doesn't. And then next thing you had three, then you had four. I actually used a Mach 5, you know, you know, I'd have brought it, but I didn't have security team to guard it, right? I mean, because like, <laughs> I, you have to almost sell and get a second mortgage to buy those razor blades, like $3 million a piece, right? They're so powerful, but you know, so when you shave, and we all shave, you know, my goal is for you to think about community, all right? And, and, and listen, being devoted to the fellowship is why we encourage everyone to join a life group. You know, it's like one of those things, right, that, and I hear, I'm going to tell you, no one has time to do it, right? It's never convenient. If you're a host home, you know that because you never get a night off, right? And people can, well, I can't make it tonight. Well, the host home, guess what? Here we are, you know? And they don't show up, you clean your house for nothing, and my kids is always like, we're cleaning the house. You go like, we have, a, we have a small group tonight? No, I just decided I need to clean the house. <laughs> you know, they, they put the two together. Um, yeah, but you really need it. You know, my, I'm looking at one, one of my life group members right there, Bob, and yeah, I may say hi to Bob, and I don't even know what kind of ice cream he likes, you know. You know, you can say hi to people in church. I, I'd say hi to Kim and Henry, and hi to your Kim, and you know, hi to David and Jan, but I, I didn't really know you guys, and guess what? I'm starting to know you guys. We're starting to know each other and love each other, right? And do we have time? No. This, this crazy man drives down from D.C. on Thursday to make it to our life group, you know? That's pretty, you know, that's pretty tough drive, and he makes it there every week. If you're not in a life group, I just encourage you to sign up. You know, give it a shot, you know. If your first group doesn't work, try another one. You know, try until you find one. We also have a men's group and a ladies' group on Monday night. Alden, Alden Pierster has a men's group that meets in the cafe. Um, they're doing a great study right now. And there's a women's group that meets in here. And, and I do want to just say this. You know, you'll notice there's an insert in there. I'm not going to say a whole lot about it. But here's the bottom line. Guys, when it comes to reading God's Word and stuff like that, ladies do a better job of it. I'm just being straight with you, right? You know, it, it shouldn't be that way, but it is. And so what this is, this is just Band of Brothers, this little survey here, Right? And it's just saying, hey, you know, and, and hey, I like to meet every other week with some guys at lunchtime, you know, in the morning, in the evening, every other week, you know, hey, talk about life. Maybe say, hey, you reading the Bible? Yeah, I'm reading the Bible. What'd you read? I read this. I mean, nothing, nothing huge, nothing great. But, you know, as I look in this room, there could be some guys in this room right now who don't know each other. They're going to fill out this piece of paper. And three months from now, it'll be like, I'm talking, I'm talking to me and Bob. Right, you're saying, man, I know them. They're my friends. I care about them. I care about what's happening in their family. You know, I care about the crisis they're going through. All right, so guys, encourage you. You can fill this out, drop in the offering box. You, you can uh, uh, take it to the back table. You can make a paper airplane and zing it up on the stage, and we'll pick it up when everything's done. All right, a any way you want to get it to us works.
Um, but they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to God's Word, to the fellowship, to this idea of community, right? Because pretending is hard, right? Yeah, everything's great. No, it's not. Yeah, no, it's not. It's hard. You know, if we got, you know, I look around sometimes, I see single moms, and I think single moms, that's the toughest job in the world, bar none, bar none, you know, and, and, and it's hard, you know, and, and when we get a place we can be real and, say, and just say, you know, it's hard right now. Life is hard right now. And we have people who have spouses deployed. That's hard. That's hard, you know, and, and people maybe in marriage isn't going as well as they like it to. That's hard. And to be around people who actually love you, and I can say, oh, I can't wait to get on the phone and tell someone about this. Oh, you know, Steve and Laurie are really having a bad time right now. Let's, you know, people say, hey, I really love these people, and I'm concerned about them. They were devoted to prayer. These guys prayed. I mean, they prayed. They prayed before the church was born. They prayed after it was born. They, they prayed so hard in Acts chapter 4 that the house shook, right? Stephen prayed as people were murdering him. Cornelius prayed and the gospel was brought to him, Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 13, a bunch of leaders are praying and the Holy Spirit said, I'm so glad you knocked on my door. I want you to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And Paul and Barnabas went on their first missionary journey. Uh, Paul and Silas prayed in prison and, 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 and the earthquake set them free and a jailer was saved. They, they, they prayed when they were persecuted. They prayed when they needed to make big decisions. They prayed just to be connected and tuned in with God. Now, now, why did they pray? Well, because they knew three things. Number one, they knew that prayer brings us into the throne room of God. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I mean, think about it. We have direct access to the creator universe, you know? And he doesn't put you in hold. You don't get like, well, thank you for calling heaven, so glad you called. Uh, please listen to all the options because they have changed. If you want to talk to the Holy Spirit, press one. You know, no, you, you just get God, right? You, you get God right there when you call him up. That's crazy. Number two, because they knew that prayer connects them to the power of God. What can prayer do? Anything God can do. What can God do? God can do anything. Prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain and did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And he prayed again, the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. Moses prayed and the waters parted. Joshua prayed and the sun stood still. David prayed and, and the giant fell. Esther prayed and God's people were saved from genocide. Daniel prayed and the mouths of the lions were shut. Number three, they prayed because they knew that without prayer, they would fail to receive all that God wants them to have. James says, you don't have because you do not ask God. Or when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. You see, here is, is a truth that I need to get. <laughs> that there are things that we, that you, that I will never have individually or as a church. That there are ways that God will never move through us. That there are giants that will never fall. Seas that will never part. Victories that will never be realized. Lost people that will never be found. Hungry that will never be fed. Captives that will never be set free. Marriages that will never be restored. Relationships that will never be brought back to where they need to be. Simply because we never bother to ask. Never asked them. God's like, why didn't you ask? Why didn't you ask me? Why didn't you call on me? Why didn't you believe I could do something about that? You know, and personally, I, I, 
in my personal life, I need to up my game in prayer. And as a church, we need to up our game in prayer. You know, and, and I challenge the first service people to come a little bit early. Anytime between 820 and 845, every week I'm in the cafe uh, with whoever shows up, and we just pray for God to move in the service. I'm kind of thinking, like, God likes church, and, and God likes worship, and there's like a lot of people there, and if I ask God to move, and maybe someone's really not feeling good about themselves, and they're hurting, and like maybe pray that God would speak to them, and so I think that's a really cool thing to do. I've been doing it every Sunday since I got here, and I'll be doing it every Sunday till the day I die, asking God to move, because I don't trust myself. I don't trust my abilities, but I trust him. And then on November the 5th, it's the day before we have our, we are in Sunday at 6 p.m. We're going to meet right in this room right here to pray that God will move on that Sunday in, in a great and a powerful way. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to prayer, and to the breaking of bread. And it's communion. I know it's communion because in the Greek, there's the article, the, it literally says, they were devoted to the breaking of the bread, talking about communion. And, you know, as I reflect on this, I'm like, okay, I, I get it, I get it. I can, I can see why the Bible and prayer and, and, and fellowship are so important. But, I mean, communion, like, it, I know it's, like, important, but is it that important? I mean, that's a pretty big list to be on. You know, is it that big of a deal? Was it a big deal to Jesus? Must have been, right, because he took time out in the upper room for it about to be arrested, he took bread, gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Understanding communion, which we're about to partake in, and we do it every week at Maple Grove. We're devoted to doing that every week. As someone asked me, can you do it twice on one Sunday? I said, you can do it twice, three times. I did it first service, I'm gonna do it again, right? And, and, and communion, you, there's some things that Jesus wants us to remember or not forget. Don't forget your worth. And you may have been beat up this week and things and people situa- saying, you're not worthy. Well, don't forget your worth. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ. But someone's willing to pay for something determines worth, Right? Don't forget his love for you. God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Yeah, you messed up this week. Guess what? He still loves you. He, he, he loves you the same today as yesterday. But not half as much as tomorrow. That could be a song, couldn't it? <laughs> Don't forget what saves you. Not your efforts. In him we have redemption. Through his blood. The forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Don't forget where you were so you can appreciate where you are. That's a really important one, right? Because, like, we tend to take things for granted. Like, maybe you always wanted to have a, a good marriage and you have that now and you just take it for granted, right? You know, you no longer appreciate it. Because if you got where you were, you were alone or maybe you had a bad first marriage and, you, and now you have a good one, you go, oh, now you don't even think about it anymore. Oh, you wanted to have kids, couldn't have them for years, but now you have them, but you're like, okay, now I have them, but now they just irritate me, right? (laughs) Well, it's so important to remember where we were so we can appreciate where we are. And here's where we were. Remember that in the past, you were without Christ. You had no hope, and you did not know God. That was me the first 19 years of my life. But now in Christ, 
You are far away from God, are brought near through the blood of Christ's death. Next, don't forget your future. For when we eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and, and to prayer. And, and you know, as, as, as we wrap up, I was thinking that, that their devotion to those four things could, 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 there's actually one word you could substitute for every one of them. You know what that one word would be? They were devoted to, any guess? Some go answer? Jesus! <laughs> there you go, right? Because the apostles' teaching, what? It's about him. Uh, we pray to him and through him, right? You know, the fellowship is centered in him and with him. And the breaking of the bread represents him. You know, they were devoted to Jesus. In fact, if you want to know if you're devoted to Jesus, are you devoted to the apostles' teaching? the fellowship, the prayer, and the breaking of bread. A, a final thought as, as, as we wrap up. Um, I got a text early this morning uh, from the Holy Spirit, you know, and, and, and here's what he wanted me to tell you. This is from him. Seriously. Not kidding. I don't know. But he, 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 here's what I think he would say. Maple Grove, I dare you. I double dog dare you to do what they did to share their devotion and see what happens. Would you stand? I'm going to pray. We're going to take communion. And as I said, November 6th is a day where you can say you want to jump in and join what's going on here. But I do want to offer the invitation. If someone's here and you've not yet surrendered to Christ in faith, repentance, and baptism, you want to talk about what it means to be a, a follower of Christ, you know, you know November 6th is a fine day to do that, but any time, any place, any hour, we can talk about that. And so I'm going to pray, and then we'll go off to our stations to take communion. God, we love you. God, thank you for your love and devotion for us and to us. God, thank you for the hope that we have. God, thank you for your word that's our anchor. Thank you for the community that you are building here. Thank you for loving us when we're unlovely. Thank you for picking us up when we fall, filling us up when we're dry. And thank you for the simple gospel that a guy like you would love messed up people like us. May we hold on to it and rejoice in it. In Jesus' name, amen.